Welcome to a healthy bite. You're one nibble closer to a more satisfying way of life, a healthier you, and bite-sized bits of healthy motivation. Now let's dig in on the dish with Rebecca Huff. This episode of A Healthy Bite is sponsored by Pure Organic, the folks helping us take a sweeter bite out of life. With Pure Organic Stevia, I'm able to create desserts such as my low-carb salted caramel peanut crunch chocolate bars. What do we love about Pure's Organic Stevia? No calories, no sugar, and never anything artificial. That's because Pure takes the highest quality non-GMO stevia leaves from organic plants to make their sweeteners while avoiding chemicals, additives, and artificial processes. We recently tried and loved the new Pure Organic Sugar-Free Baking Mixes. If you don't have time to make brownies or cookies from scratch, you can still make your own baked goods with minimal prep work. Their sugar-free chocolate chip cookie mix and sugar-free brownie mix are keto-friendly and gluten-free. Find Pure products at pureorganic.com. That's P-Y-U-R-E-O-R-G-A-N-I-C dot com. Hey, it's Rebecca, and I have a very special guest. I have Karen Jeffries with me today, and Karen wrote a book all about the struggles that she went through with infertility. So tell us just a little bit about yourself, and spoiler, your family. Yes. Hi. Thank you for having me. <laughs> but yeah, I I wrote this book about three years ago, three and a half years ago, and I was on maternity leave with my second daughter, and I was helping a family member and another friend through their infertility cycle, and I and I was explaining it to my husband. I was like, well, you know, they're ovulating, so it's go time, and I was like, and her um, follicles are at 17 millimeters, so I, I'm pretty sure she's gonna have an IUI this weekend. And my husband said, I think that you should write a book about this. And I was like, ha, like I just laughed him off. Um, and I didn't think anything of it. And then a few weeks later, I, I just sat down in front of my laptop one day, like during nap time, and I just started writing. And it just was pouring out of me. I mean, it was just, it was crazy. And about five weeks later, I had pretty much what is now the book, Hilariously Infertile. Um, one woman's inappropriate quest to help women laugh through infertility, which is the subtitle. Um, and I just, as I was writing it, I didn't know at first what it was. I was like, is this a book or is it a blog or is it just me having like a diary? Like, I don't know, you know? <laughs> and then, but then I realized I was like, wait, but this is funny and it's really funny and it's really inappropriate. And to me, it's just the way that women really talk. Like when you're really talking with your best girls and your best girlfriends that like the stuff you really, the nitty gritty that you really talk about. And that's what the book is about. And it, it, it kind of explains um, my journey of infertility going from like not knowing that I was infertile at all to finding out and then having my first daughter and then my second daughter and just kind of everything in between and life and everything that happens. And um I've, you know, some people have used it just to help them through their, their struggles and other people have used it to give to like family members or friends who like don't know what they're going through to be like, you should read this because she explains what it's like to go through it. And I, and it is, and it's not all funny because like infertility really isn't funny, but, um, but there are some really, really funny parts. And so that's what I highlight, um, in Hilariously Infertile. 
Well, I think it's great that you bring out the humorous aspects of what you went through. Obviously, I'm sure there were a lot of tears shed during all of your um, time. This journey was over a period of years. So at what point did you realize, hey, um, there's a problem. I think we maybe need to go figure out, maybe we need to see a doctor. So uh, tell me about that. Yeah, so that's one of my biggest pieces of advice for people who are at home. Like, don't wait. If you think something's going on, go to a doctor. Um, you know, a doctor's not sitting in, in her his or her office being like, oh, I wonder how so-and-so's doing at home. You know what I mean? Like, they don't know unless you go to them. So we started, um, We I went off birth control that I've been on for many, many years when we started having unprotected sex, and I wasn't getting my period for like months and months and months. But I also, so every like month I thought I was pregnant, but I was also getting all these negative pregnancy tests results. So I didn't really understand what was happening. Cause I was like, wait, we're having unprotected sex and I'm not getting my period, but I'm not pregnant. Like it didn't make any sense to me what was going on. And so we went about six months of that. And then I went to, and also my cycles were like so long. I mean, we're talking like you know, 45 days, 60 days, 90 days. Like it was just like, it was crazy. And I was like, I don't think this is normal. But then I was like, maybe it's just my body adjusting after being on birth control, but I, I still wanted to figure it out. So I know Brady's moving in the background. <laughs> so cute. Um, that's his little perch. He likes being a but, um, um, cute puppy. So, so I went to my regular old OBGYN and she was like, okay, something's definitely up. And she started me on a round of Clomid and nothing happened. And then the next month, another round of Clomid and nothing happened. And it was after that second month that she called me. And it was this, this part was like the most traumatizing, I think, for me throughout the whole thing. One of the most traumatizing parts. But she, it was like 4.45 on a Friday afternoon. And she was like, I think that you have PCOS, which stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome. But I didn't know that. And uh, I think that you need to go to the fertility clinic down the street. And it was a Friday and she was like, bye, I'm, I'm not back in the office until Monday. And I was like, what? Like, so when I got home, I obviously Googled PCOS. Like the only thing I could see was just infertile, infertility. Like I was like, I was a wreck. Like I was just sobbing and crying. I called my husband, like, you have to get home. He was like, I'm at work. Like, what do you, like, I can't come home because you're your girl. You know what I mean? Like it was just, it was, it was crazy. And, and I just had so many questions because you know, I'm a school teacher. So I felt like I like devoted my life to children and then to, to find out that maybe I won't be able to have children was, was really, really, really devastating. And at that point you have so many questions. You just don't know. Like, I didn't know that I was going to be able to get pregnant. I didn't know, like, I was like, do we need to start looking into adoption? Like, I don't, I don't know. And, um, and my husband came home and like calmed me down a little bit, which he often does. And, and he was like, we'll take it one step at a time. And I also felt this, this level of like, I don't know, like maybe guilt, I guess that, that I was like, cause we were, you know, we had been married for about two years at the time. And, and I was like, well, what if I can't give you children? Like, I know that you want children and this is me. And what if I can't, and, and I was like, does that, like, I started questioning, like, will, will he not want to be with me if I, if we can't have the life that we definitely thought that we were going to have. And that like on top of everything else, like, it was just, it was unreal. And, and my husband was like, all right, let's take it one step at a time. Let's go to the clinic, figure out what they say, and then we'll go on from there and we'll make our decisions. And like, he's very rational like that. And I'm very like, ah, you know, so, um, but that's what we, that's what we ended up doing. 
Wow. Well, I read some statistics after I read your book. Um, and according to the CDC, about 12.1% of women in the U.S. ages 15 to 44 have difficulty getting pregnant and staying pregnant. I kind of saw that statistic and thought, why are they checking the fertility of 15 year olds? But okay. Um, and so apparently this is a, a lot bigger problem than we hear about. So that, that comes out to about, I don't know, seven and a half million people right. that are struggling with infertility. Um, and I know that this was part of your mission in writing this book. Um, and thankfully, I think more people are like you speaking out openly about this topic. When you started on the path, I'm sure you felt very alone. At what point did you decide? I mean, you said after you had, you decided to write the book after you already had your two children. At what point did you start reaching out to other people that were experiencing this um, journey with you? There's two different like l layers to your question. Like there was me personally going through it when I was going through my infertility and then through hilariously infertile. So I'll, I'll speak to both. So first when I was going through infertility, I, I mean, I'm a very, very open person. Like I don't really understand why people don't talk about certain things. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was very open. Like I, you know, I'm struggling. I need to go get an IUI. I need to go to like no one in my life didn't know, you know, if they knew, if they knew me closely, they knew what was going on with me. And I was surprised at how many people were like, oh yeah, I went through that or I went through that. And I was like, oh my goodness, I didn't, I had no idea. Like people don't talk about it. Cousins or like coworkers, you know, that I was like, I had no idea. And, and that kind of stuck with me that I was like, if I would have known, like I would have checked in on you and I would have helped you, you know, like now I feel like a horrible friend or family member, you know, but no one was talking about it. That was kind of one of my first inklings into this whole, like, why do, don't people talk about it type of situation. And then with Hilariously Infertile, like, I didn't have, prior to Hilariously Infertile, I didn't have any social media. I didn't have a personal Facebook account. I still don't have a personal Facebook account because um, I'm a school teacher and my students Google me. Like, they're, they're in fourth grade. And no, no joke, like, they'll come into school and be like, um, we Googled you last night. And I'll be like, oh, my God. Oh my god! Like, uh, like, what did you find? And they're like, it was just like your your wedding website from like the not from like ten years ago or something like that. And I'm like, oh my So so for me, like not having social media, not having this community of other people who are going through what I'm going through, I, that was really a struggle because I had I had like two coworkers that especially when I went through IVF. Not many people had, that I had that I knew had gone through IVF when I when I was going through it. Um, there was one coworker who had at that point moved away, and then and then two other coworkers that like I'm kind of close with who had gone through it. And I and I did talk with them and reach out to them a little bit more, um, and they were really supportive. But but it was just it, like I didn't have this. I didn't have this community, and so I it was just me and my husband. And oftentimes I felt like it was kind of just me like on an island, like going through it. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that was a struggle. So I really, I think part of this, this, you know, quest that I'm on or is to really help people, not just in the United States, like you said, which is huge, but throughout the world realize that like, you're not alone. Like when you feel like you're alone and you feel like you're the only one going through this, you're not. And like, you can reach out to people and we're here for you to help you. And we've been through what you're going through, you know? And I think that's really huge. 
It is. And I think maybe part, I can't speak for anyone else, but I can imagine that it's something that, you know, maybe women don't want to talk about because it opens up this can of emotions, I guess. And on top of that, that opens you up to be vulnerable for people asking you questions. And I'm sure people say all kinds of things to you. I'm glad that you were able to put a humorous twist on that. I mean, I even read some statistics and it said that men are as likely to be sterile as women are. So in your journey, did you guys encounter other couples where the man was struggling with infertility? Yes. Yeah, definitely. Um, through With our friends, we've had a couple instances where um, where you know some people, it's the female factor infertility, some people it's the male, and some people it's both of them. Um, and you just, I mean, it's so crazy because like, you don't know when you, when you fall in love with someone and you, and you decide to spend the rest of your life with them, like, it's not like, Hey, like what's, how fertile are you? You know what I mean? Um, you don't think about that. And, uh, and it's, it is very interesting, but yeah, male factor infertility is huge. And I think that, um, also the guilt that is associated with male factor infertility, like I know for my friends in particular, like it really weighed on my friend the, and the male in the relationship because he was like, it's because of me that she has to go through all this. And like, that was like really hard for him to handle. Like, even as he was like giving her the shots and having her go to the appointments and everything, he was like, it's because of me. Like all of this is because of me. And I think that, I mean, when it's the female, at least for, from, and I can speak from my experience, like I'm the one who's infertile in my relationship. And so for me, like that guilt was, was big enough but I knew it was like something that I was doing because I had a like not a deficit but because I'm infertile so I'm the one who has to like go through the shots but when you're infertile and therefore almost putting not putting that on the other person but the other person has to go through the shots and the procedures and everything like that's a lot that's a lot to handle and I think that that's really really hard on many men so yeah, it's, it's a challenge. And that is, if infertility isn't being spoken about enough, like male infertility is not being spoken about enough at all. And also um, like how to support men who are going through that. Like there's really nothing out there that's like, hey guys, like it, like from a male perspective, you know? And I think that that's definitely um, like a caveat that in completely in the content based of infertility. Right. I just think that so many people assume that infertility is, is typically a woman's problem. And so I think, you know, maybe that's why there's not a lot of support out there for men who deal with this, but obviously, I mean, it happens. And, you know, according to the statistics, it's something that someone needs to start talking about because there's a lot of people that are probably struggling with these very issues. Like you were talking about feeling like, Oh, it's my fault. We can't have kids. Or, you know, because my wife has to go through these um, treatments. And uh, yeah, I feel like hopefully someone will hear your message and start writing the male perspective of your um, book yeah. that you wrote. But well, um, and also, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I was just say, also with those statistics, like those statistics are based on, on people who are going to doctors and being treated for infertility. Right. You know, so those statistics don't even apply to the people who have been trying at home um, uh, unsuccessfully for years, you know, or for whatever reason, whether it be faith-based or financial-based, don't have the means or don't want to, to seek medical treatment. So those statistics, like they're huge, but they're also, I think like not even covering all, all of the different aspects of people who are actually going through it. Cause those I think are just based on the insurances. 
Of course. Right. So, yeah. I mean, obviously with all statistics, there's definitely a huge margin for error. Yeah. And you talked about, and you mentioned earlier, IUI. Can you just briefly explain to the listeners in case some of them haven't heard of this and they don't know what you mean by IUI? So an IUI is short for intrauterine insemination. And basically what they do or what they did for me is they, um, they put you on a medicine to stimulate your ovaries so that you'll produce follicles. So my, what I have with PCOS is like, I always hold up my fist. And I kind of, because like my, I think of my fist is like my ovary, right? And with PCOS, I have a ton of eggs, like a ton of eggs, which is great because you want to have a lot of eggs, but it's bad because no one egg can grow and become, become dominant and then flow down the fallopian tube to then be, you know, inseminated by your husband's sperm naturally at home when you're relaxing and drinking wine. You know what I mean? So, so that doesn't happen. And I kind of equate it to like an overgrown garden where like nothing can grow if everything is there. Um, so, um, so what they do for me is they give me medication to stimulate my ovaries so that my follicles will grow and then they time it perfectly so that they release those follicles. And then the next day, um, my husband goes in and gives his, they call it his donation, which mm -hmm. is, you know, his sperm donation. And then they take that sperm. And this was the part that I thought was so funny when we were, even when we were going through it, I was like, are you, are you kidding me right now? My doctor said that they'll take his sperm and they'll clean and buff his sperm. <laughs> and I was like, wait, are you, are you, are you being serious right now? Like, I was like, are you kidding? Like, did you just say those words? Like, I was dying when he said that. But um, they, do, they kind of take the, the semen and they clean it and they make sure that like the, you know, they're getting the good ones and nothing else is going in there. And then they put the semen into what I call like a glorified turkey baster, even though it's not, that's not a medical term. And they shoot it up inside of you. Mm -hmm. um, while you're lying there, typically like mine was always like around lunchtime. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then you lay there and you hopefully don't forget your phone. One time I like forgot my phone like over in like the changing room area. And I was like, wait, so now I have to lay here for like half an hour doing absolutely nothing, like <sighs> counting, counting the dots on the ceiling. Um, and then you go about your day and, and you're, you're advised to also if possible have, you know, intercourse at home to help your, you know, raise your statistics, you know, more sperm, more possibility. Right. Okay. I'm thinking about the story you tell in your book about your egg retrieval surgery, which resulted in some very painfully swollen ovaries. Can you tell a little bit about that story? I um, felt I mean, sorry for you. And at the same time, I was laughing and I felt terrible for laughing. I wasn't laughing at you. If I could go back to that girl that was going to pick up your daughter from daycare after you made that terrible mistake of going to the wrong, you know, to the daycare. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> I just wanted to go back to that place in time and give you a hug and tell you it's going to get better. But I also was laughing at the same time. So tell us a little bit about this surgery, this egg retrieval surgery. So, okay. So that was for going through IVF, which going through IVF is a little bit different. They, you give yourself shots on days like, you know, one through whatever, 15 of your cycle. Um, at first they're just stimulating shots, shots, which are going to stimulate your ovaries to make you grow those follicles. And then at one point that you give yourself suppressant injections as well, um, which make it so that the, the follicles can't release until the doctor's ready to catch them. Um, which I always picture like Peyton Manning in that moment, 
catching the thing, like screaming out Omaha. But um, but what happened to me was my I was doing it in December, which was a very bad time of the year for me to be doing it because of my my job. But I drove. We were gonna be early, like we were setting everything up to be early. We were gonna drop my daughter off at daycare and then go down to the city for this retrieval surgery. My husband had to come with me because he's not allowed to drive after because you're put under general and local anesthesia. Like it's it's a pretty major thing. Like they're not cutting you open, but like it's still, you know, they're still going up inside of you and it's it's pretty big. So we pull up to my daughter's daycare and there's no power and there's like, there's, I mean, there's never, that never happened. Like daycare's always open, you know? And I was like, what do you mean? And they're like, no, there's no power. Like we can't take your child. And I was like, I, I can't bring her to the, like, you're actually not allowed. It says like, do not bring your children to the, to the operating room, you know, for your egg retrieval surgery. And I was like, who can I leave her with? It was 7 a.m. on a Monday morning in December. And so I decided that I had to leave her with my mom and dad but they live in Bedford and also like, and I say this in the book, like they're like the more hands-off grandparents, you know? So I was just like, <gasps> like it just, it wasn't like, it's not like the, oh, you'll go see grandma and she's got all the toys and milk and cookies. Like, no, like that's not who we're, we're leaving her with. So we didn't have a choice. So we drove up to Bedford, like, like mad people, dropped her off, drove back down to, to New York City, which is, which was now like over an hour away. Um, and finally I realized at one point that like, and I'm driving because I keep telling my husband, like, I have to drive because I need to feel like I'm in control. Like, that was my thing. And so then we get down to New York city and I realize like, it's going to be okay. We're going to make it. He goes off to give his donation and I get pulled back into the, into the pre-operating room and the woman starts taking my blood pressure. And I was like, my blood pressure might be a little high right now. And I just started, and like, I just started losing it. And like, I felt like that was like the moment where like for the whole month I kept it together. Like, I was like, I can do this. I can do this. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Like I'm stronger than this. I can do this, whether it works or not. Like I can do this. And then that moment I was like, ah, like I just completely <laughs> lost it. And then I like told everyone about the, about the power outage. Um, and like, no one cares. Like, no, no one, like I told like the anesthesiologist, like, <laughs> was, like putting tubes into my arm and I was like, and then there's no power. He's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, like does not care. <laughs> so, then, so then I went home and I rested and, and they took out 33 follicles, which is a lot. Um, they brought me kind of right up to this, like what's called over hyper simulation where like, it's actually, it turns into like a bad thing where your body starts like, like almost kind of freaking out because your ovaries are so big. So they brought me kind of right up to that brink and, uh, and I was okay, but it was like very borderline for, for a few days there. So the next day I could barely walk, but again, because I'm a school teacher and I had taken so many days for other procedures leading up to this procedure and all this stuff. I was like, I can't take off two days. It's December. We have parent-teacher conferences. Like, I was like, I just can't. I can't take off two days. So I didn't check my email in the morning um, to see what the power situation was at my daughter's daycare. We had been told on like the night before to go to a different daycare as like a sister daycare in another center. And, and I'm like every step. And I think anyone who's had an egg retrieval surgery can feel this. Even if you haven't had 33, I 33 is a lot to be taken out. And that means 
And I asked them, I was like, why am I so sore? And she was like, well, you have to think the doctor poked you at a minimum 33 times in your ovaries with a needle. Like, and that's just a, a minimum, like if you didn't miss or whatever. So like, you have to like think about poking yourself 33 times with, with a needle, like, but it's inside. And like every step I took was just like reverberating pain throughout my whole body. I could barely walk. And I get into that, um, that other daycare and they're like, oh no, your daycare is open. And I was like, <laughs> like I just like lost it. Like, people like this daycare. I mean, my wait, no. my daycare was like really, really nice too. But this one, for some reason, looked like a ski chalet, and it was in like a like, nicer town that's like a little bit more ritzy. And and I was just like, <sighs> like I don't know. Like I was like, I don't want a ski chalet daycare. I don't want it. You know, like, and so then we had to go back and, and then I was, I remember later on that morning, I got to work and I was walking down the hallway to my classroom, like, like, as I was almost like 95 years old, like every step. And this one teacher came out and she was like, wow, you look really happy to be here. And I was like, you know, and then when I finally got to my, to my classroom, I just, I was choking back tears, like choking back tears. Um, and I also looked, I looked like I was like five months pregnant. So, which is also like a trick, a mean, mean, mean trick that, you know, infertility does to you is it makes you extremely bloated. And like one of my girlfriends came in during her, her break and was like, whoa, look at you. And I was like, I know. And she's like, She's like, if I didn't know that you like went through IVF yesterday, <laughs> she's like, I would have thought that you were pregnant today. I'm like, I know. Like, so it's just, it was just crazy. And it was just one of those things that I always say, you know, infertility doesn't happen in a vacuum. And if it did, that'd be amazing. Like if, if all you had to do was go to the fertility clinic and be monitored and get intake shots and come home and do nothing else, like not worry about a single other thing, that would be incredible. It would, and it would still be really, really hard. Like it'd still be very, very, very challenging. But infertility happens in, in your world in 2019, 2020, whenever it is. And it's, you can't stop, you know, the traffic and everything out, the power outages and this and that and the emails and your boss and whatever like you can't stop any of that and you have to just manage all of it and that's I think the, the hardest part about going through IVF or infertility is like the all the peripheral stuff that you are all the women are also managing right because life goes on and you can't exactly. push the pause button one of my friends was actually telling me about her journey with infertility and Actually, I think she was telling me that her body turned against itself or something. So she finally was able to get pregnant, but then she had miscarriages. And um, I know that <clears throat> that happens with a lot of couples. A lot of, I think part of infertility is also experiencing miscarriages. She ended up choosing uh, to adopt. I mean, I think that was basically, it might've been one of her only options. Did you guys ever consider adoption? We definitely did. We wanted um, to see, you know, where, if we could do the fertility treatments, where it would take us. We were very lucky to have excellent, because I'm a school teacher, so I'm a government employee in New York State, and um, our insurance is incredible. And I have to say, like, most, if not all, things were covered with, like, minimal co-pays. 
So, um, so that was, that was a huge, a huge, you know, Mm -hmm. resource for us and and something that, that not many people have. And it's definitely made it possible for you guys. Yeah. I talk to a lot of people. I even have family members who are going through these struggles as well. And health insurance coverage is definitely a factor in choosing how to proceed. I mean, and it's not like adoption is cheap either. Um, Exactly no matter what you do, it's, it's expensive. And I'm sure there's some point in time where you had to have asked yourself, why me? Yeah. Yeah. There definitely was. Um, I mean, I just always felt like I had been babysitting, not that this mattered, you know, not that any of this like counts, you know, but in terms of like, I always think of like my resume of like, like to lead up to trying to have a kid. Like I had been babysitting since I was like 12 years old. Like I, had worked at, you know, at special needs camps. Like I, as a teaching assistant, I, I mean, had really honestly devoted my entire life to children and to other people's children. And to, and I mean, where I work, it's children are in in the low socioeconomic bracket. We, it's a title one school and we receive like, like 80%, 90% free and reduced lunch. So I've like really devoted everything I have to helping kids. And then I'm like, wait, I can't, like, I can't get pregnant. Like it was, it just seems like, but none of that matters, you know, none of it affects like your fertility. And it's not like my ovaries know that like, oh, I'm a good person helping children, right. <laughs> you know, yeah. but it's just, I remember being like, what, like this can't be. And another weird anecdote is, um, my sister and I used to live together. We were roommates when we were in our twenties, um, in New York city. And we used to, you know, on like Friday, Saturday nights, drink a little bit maybe too much maybe a couple too many glasses of wine and order a ridiculous amount of sushi and one night my sister was like do you ever think about being able to get pregnant or not being able to get pregnant and I was like no and she was like I just she's like I just think I'm gonna have a really hard time and I was like you do and I was like why would you think like that and she's like I just I I really do like I really think I'm just gonna have a really hard time like I just had this feeling and she's like have you ever had a feeling like that and I was like, no, nah, dude, like I've devoted my life to children. I'm not going to have a hard time. Like, and what's so crazy is that like her and her husband look at each other and get pregnant and I'm meeting fertility treatment. You know what I mean? So it's just, it was very interesting the way that that all turned out. Cause I had no idea, none whatsoever. Uh, life is so unfair. Yeah. So when you first started writing the book, you were just not sure exactly what you were going to do with this manuscript, but you were just getting it all out there. And then you realized it was funny and you're like, I, I, this could help people. I'm going to get this published. And, um, so you started sending your manuscripts to publishers and you found out something very infuriating. Um, what was that all about? Either people didn't write me back or the people who did write me back said, we just don't think it's a big enough market. And to me, that was like, that was just pouring gasoline on the fire. Like I was just like, okay, no, like you're wrong. And that has really been what's kept me going for the past like three years is I'm like, this is a huge market. Um, It's like one of the largest medical markets out there. It's growing rapidly. And that's the problem is that you don't think it's a big enough market because no mm-hmm. one's talking about it because people are at home suffering in silence. And so that was kind of like when I was kind of that moment where I was like, okay, well, I mean, I hate part of my language, but I was kind of like, well, screw all of you because like, mm-hmm. I'm going to do this and I'm going to get people not just talking about it, but laughing about it and sharing their stories and I'm going to do it without you. And so at first I did, um, 
I started, one of my, my husband's friends was like, you need a website and you need social media. And I was like, okay. Um, so I started the website, I started the social media. And then I remember when I had like 300 followers, I was like, oh my gosh, I have 300 followers. Like 300 people are, are liking my content and from like all over the world. And I thought it was so crazy. I was like, that's crazy to me that like, and I just felt so happy that I could help 300 people, you know, and right. then it just kind of taken off so much. And, uh, and so then last summer it was very, fo- like a lot of the stuff that I do is very like follower driven. Mm-hmm. You know, my followers said, we need this book. Like we have to have this book. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to go forward with self-publishing. And my goal for self-publishing was just to make back the money that, that I spent to publish the book. Um, and I was like, okay, so maybe if I sell like 500 books, like that's all, you know, maybe then that'll be okay. And, and my, it's just really far surpassed my imagination. And then, and just the social media in general has just been so crazy. I'm very surprised. I'm very humbled by, by the turnout, by the response. I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy, but, but yeah, it's nuts. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm glad you persisted because I mean, just looking at your Instagram following, obviously there's a market for this book. There's a market for this subject. Um, so I think your difficulties in publishing taught you that, yeah, there are people suffering along with me and this is something that we need to talk about. So I'm glad that you persisted and I'm sure there's at least 60 something thousand people that, um, (laughs) that are glad you persisted. Well, all right. So are you always, I mean, do you typically tend to be a funny person at all times? I, I think so. I think yeah. so. Like, I think if my mom, like people always ask me that and I'm like, I think my mother would say yes. Like she would say mm-hmm. that yes. Like I was always kind of like, I'm, a, I'm the second child. So I, I feel like I'm kind of more like the goofball at work, like at school in my classroom, we joke around. I joke around my students all the time. Like we're laughing all the time and then we're, and then we're serious and we're learning, you know, and then we're laughing. And so, so I do think that I try to keep humor as not just like a coping mechanism, but also just a way to lighten up and enjoy the day. So yeah. I'm going to put Karen's stand-up video in there. You guys can watch it. It's hilarious. Yeah. But the stand-up comedy thing, like that's, that's new. That's crazy. (laughs) Are you going to keep doing it? I think I want to. I mean, it's, it's, I never considered myself a stand-up comic. I don't really consider myself a writer. I just kind of, the stuff is kind of happening. Um, but the stand-up comedy, it's just, it's an hour long show of, um, it's a little bit longer than that because there's like an intro person, but, but it's just me explaining my, my story. And it turns out that it's really funny and men love it just as much as women. And, um, and I do, I want, I would like to keep going with those shows because first and foremost, the ticket proceeds go to charity, which I think is huge because I really want to give back to people who are going through infertility right now. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and second, I just, I, I would love to have people come out and just feel like be surrounded by a couple hundred other people who are, are going through or have been through exactly the same thing. And it's just that moment of like, Oh my gosh, like these people get me. And like, just that feeling of you're not alone and yes, it sucks and we're all going to cry and that, and we can, we can admit that. Like I can admit that I cried when I went through infertility many times, but I'm also going to try to have you like laugh a little bit so that tomorrow when you have to go to that procedure, like you can be thinking about whatever we were joking about and maybe it'll help you through. So yeah. 
Good. Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously it is a very um, touchy subject. It's a very serious subject and it can be heart-wrenching, I'm sure. But I do think that if other people are struggling with this, that just getting your book, it could, if nothing else, it's a de-stressor. I mean, just to be able to see that someone else went through this and here is how you coped. Here are the funny things that you went through and you survived and you came out the other side and then you're there just giving back by encouraging other women. And you do this so well. Your Instagram is great and it is, um, it's hilariously infertile, right? Yeah, hilariously and then underscore infertile. But if you if you search hilariously, it will come up. It's like it's like it's like hilariously infertile and like um, Hillary Baldwin and like <laughs> Hillary Clinton. Like those are the things that are going to come up if you put in hilar hilarious. Okay, and then but your yeah. website is hilariouslyinfertile.com, right? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So people can find your book there and they can find you on Instagram. And I, I, I really liked your Instagram. I, I actually chuckled a little while I was scrolling through some of your yeah. posts. So you guys can go follow Karen on Instagram and check out her website. And if you know someone who is dealing with infertility, you can maybe recommend that they follow Karen's just so that they can like de-stress and um, hopefully be able to see the lighter side. So yeah. And, and know that like all those crazy thoughts that people are having in their head are mm -hmm. like, they're not crazy. Like it's actually right. totally normal. Um, and you can also find me on Facebook and Twitter, although Instagram is, is the largest platform and the one that I actually am on most, but, um, but if, in case people are on Instagram, they're on other social media platforms, they can go there as well. Perfect. Well, thank you. I think that's really important that people do realize that they're not the only one because a lot of times when you are going through something like this, you definitely feel like no one else can relate. Yeah. So I think it's great that you're out there showing um, other couples that they're not alone. So thank you so much. And thank you for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Please write and review so other people can learn about this podcast. Find out more about sleep, hygiene, eating healthy, tasty recipes, zero-waste lifestyle, and lots more on thatorganicmom.com. Help us spread the word. Be blessed and stay healthy.